Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. And it is time for us, The Approach Shot. I am Neil Michaels. John Ashton is off today, so I'm flying solo. Well, not exactly solo. Producer Shane is here. How are you? Another day in paradise, man. Shane is not only the producer, but he runs things around here at Icon Industries in Escondido, California. How about that? I just gave you I just gave you, gave you a plug right there. And it is time about like a week or so for the Super Bowl coming right up. That's what I hear. All right. So my wife and I are sitting here talking about having people over. And this is like a thing with us. I don't know why it's a thing. She has got this Southern California mentality that when you have people over and you have Super Bowl foods, like she, she makes like a, a tray. She makes, she wants to make dinner. She wants to do like a big soup, a stew. And I'm like, do you not get <laughs> that there are Super Bowl foods? Yeah. Well, Super Bowl foods. You want those to be all your, your snack foods, your 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 cheap foods, your stuff that's like bad for you and greasy, salty and greasy. And salty. Yes, thank you, thank Beer. you. <laughs> so glad you're on board with me. So I have prepared a list of Super Bowl foods, and I'm going to give this to you like as a quiz, and let's see how you and I sort of do on this. Like okay. if we're, if we're on the same page, and to my wife, I know you're not going to agree with this, so don't even bother, John. I know you were uh, you and I are on the same page with this, so. I got you on this. All right. So here I have prepared a list of foods, and you tell me if you think they're appropriate. Okay. Chips. 100%. 100%. Good. 100%. Right, or right, on, right on to start with. Pretzels. Absolutely. I think chips and pretzels are kind of like- Hand in hand. Hand in hand. All right. Yeah. Avocado rolls. Avocado rolls? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you immediately were like, what the hell are you talking about? I think there are a couple of restaurants that serve them as appetizers. I think Applebee's has present. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That's an no, absolute no hell no. Okay. Pizza. Yes. She, yeah, absolutely. Yes. It, it, it has the, the main food groups, grease, meat, and cheese. That's it. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> it, absolutely. Lasagna. I can go either way with lasagna. See, I'm on the border on that too. Like it's, it's a, a crowd pleaser. Yeah. You can chop it up and, you know, just have a little bit or have a lot of it. I, I kind of feel like you're you and I are thinking way too much alike. I think if you have like six people or less, yeah, it's a no. I think if you have six people or more, it's a yes. Yeah. Because exactly what you said, when you put it in, it's not intended to feed one person or three people. Yeah. It's intended to be the, I don't know what I'm going to make for all these people. So I'm just going to go ahead and put this in. And who doesn't love lasagna? And who doesn't love lasagna? <laughs> But I can't imagine like sitting there watching a game, screaming, cheering on and stuff, yeah. and then taking a big bite of lasagna. So I'm I'm right on the fence. Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. Okay. Here's another one. I'm a little, uh, I, w I won't try to skew you. Brats. 100% yes. Okay. I'm about 75% <laughs> yes. I love the idea. Again, same thing. I think it's a good cheering food, but it feels fine. like baseball to me. Okay. So I feel like if you're eating it in February, you're about a month too soon. <laughs> so I'm I won't I, say I no. See that. Tacos. Southern California boy, of course tacos. I'm a hell no on tacos. Really? I'm a total hell no well, on are tacos. You, are you hell no on like 
a big old Taco Bell pack of crunchy tacos, or are you hell no on like having just a taco platter where they could just grab the tortillas oh. and, and all the carne asada and stuff like that? Oh, okay. Where you yeah. got a big, you know, platter and they can just serve themselves how much meat they want, how much. Well, let's start with what you said. Living in Southern California, it's a lot more yes. Yes. It would be a yes in Texas. It would be a yes in Florida. But I can't imagine in like Boston or Detroit or some other place. Okay. So sure. so my thing is I'm going to put tacos as a no, <laughs> eat it during Cinco de Mayo. But I like what you said about maybe making it sort of a crunchy wrap. Maybe, maybe that I'd be more open to. Okay. Mozzarella sticks. Yeah, why not? That's a whole hundred percent for me. <laughs> in fact, that goes to the very top, right, right under chips and pretzels for me. Here's a controversial one: hummus. I love hummus. Do you hummus and pita? Yeah, I, I'm good with that for any party. I th I think I'm going to put a yes on that one as well for the same reason. If you're going to do chips and you're going to do pretzels, there are going to be people who are like, oh, you put out chips and pretzels. Don't you have anything? So hummus sort of raises the game a little it, bit. It, it fits for the vegan. And for, the and because it makes it feel like you had, there's a little effort involved. And then yeah. that goes with crackers and stuff. So I that's why. And the next thing on the list is cheese and crackers. I think that kind of goes with hummus. Yeah. Yeah. Cheese, crackers, and hummus. I think they're cousins. They just don't know it. Yeah. Okay. Veggie tray. Yes. Yes. Not even a thought. Just a yes. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a veggie guy. I love veggies. So to me, like every party has a veggie tray. Here's why I'm going to agree with you a hundred percent. I think Super Bowl means eating with your hands. Yes. Which is why the lasagna thing was right on the border, and why brats is also like more of a yes, but. Veggie tray, if you're if you've got a little plate and you got cheese and crackers and you've got chips and you've got some celery or carrots or peppers or whatever, that all works together. Yeah, finger foods quick and fast. On its own, mm, but as part of the family of other finger foods, I'm yeah. gonna go with yes. It's on the little snack, the snack bar. Right there. Yeah. Okay. And the last one on my list is sushi. Well, for me personally, yeah, it's a hell no. I don't <laughs> I'm allergic to fish. <laughs> so for me, it's it's not even a question, but I there's people that love it and I, I'm just not one of those. Let me just say this to you and anybody listening. If you come to my house at the Super Bowl and you bring sushi, I'm going to turn you around, push you out the front door and lock it behind you because <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? That is a, that's not only a no for me, it's not a hell no for me, it's get out. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a no. All right. I hope you played along. I hope as you're listening, you're thinking the same things and feel free to, to get to me on Twitter at the approach shot and let me know what your favorite foods are. Shane, while I've got you here as, as the owner of this fine establishment icon industries. And by the way, this is where I do all of the studio stuff and I absolutely love it here. And if you're in the area and you need a studio, Icon Industries, man, the staff is incredible. But one of the things that I can imagine as a business owner, because I ran an ad agency for 15 years, is hiring people is the biggest pain. Yeah. Not a fan of that, right? No. And I have a philosophy, like, I don't, I'm not hiring employees, I'm hiring team members mm -hmm. and people that work in my team. So they have to, their dreams and goals, aspirations have to align with mine. Yeah. And you have to have the same work ethic and you have to have the same dreams and you have to have the same, you know, passions. Yeah. And we're also, we're a creative agency. So we have to have people that 
can only not only be creative, but also get the job done. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's why I'm going to suggest to you and anybody who is a fan of the show that if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. And you can use Indeed for stuff like scheduling and screening and, mes and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. One of the things that I absolutely love about Indeed is when I ran my ad agency and I was looking to hire somebody who was so slow, who was so overwhelming, I wish I had Indeed at the time. But now you can be one of the more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. And if you are a listener of the Approach Shot, you will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash approach. So again, go to indeed.com slash approach and you'll get a $75 sponsored job credit because if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Dan Plesak, the three-time, three-time, three-time Major League All-Star and analyst for MLB Network is going to be joining us today on the Approach Shot. I'm so looking forward to talking with him, not just about baseball, but he is a golf nut. In fact, Dan is on the golf course right now and promises to be joining us in a couple minutes. So when he gets here, we'll be talking baseball, we'll be talking golf, we'll be talking lots of stuff. Hang out with us. We are the Approach Shot. And welcome back to The Approach Shot. I am Neil Michaels. John Ashton is off today, so I'm flying solo. But I like my co-pilot. I, I kind of think we could hang. We could we could make this a two-man show moving forward. Dan Plesak, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Neil. It's glad to be with you. You know what? We're going to try to make this thing work. We're going to talk a little bit about baseball and a lot about some golf. Two things that drove me nuts. 18 years of pitching. This game, golf, drives me more nuts than pitching did. And why do we do this? We're masochists. Yeah, you know, you, this is the correlation, Neil. It's like you have no control of the ball when it leaves your hand when you're throwing a pitch, right? My nephew pitches for the Guardians. Now he just signed with the Angels. We right. were talking about this in dinner in Sarasota last night. You can prep. You can prepare. You have great you, – you put all – you've got like three seconds to decide what pitch, where to throw it. And once it leaves your hand, it could be up. It could be down. It could be down the line. It could be in the stands. It's the same thing with golf. You get up over the shot, and as soon as you make contact, you don't have control over where that ball goes anymore. So many parallels, and just as maddening. You could have gone into any other field. No, you, you know what? You know what's funny is uh, I'm always scouring on the internet, like on Instagram, and you're seeing like clips of people in an airport going through their swing, or a guy at work that's working construction. He's got a hard hat on, and he's working his swing. And I chuckle because that's me. I'm walking last night into Target buying some headphones and I'm stopping there going, I know what it is, man. I got to shallow this thing out a little bit. And I'm thinking to myself, if anybody has a camera on me right now, they probably think I'm a lunatic. It's amazing how many times you just be standing there, like you said, waiting for an elevator or in Target, and you just find yourself doing the little half back. Oh, got to take that all the way through. Oh. Got to do this all the way through. It's crazy. Neil, it's so maddening because 18 years pitching in the big leagues, you come back from a game, you get in your hotel room, you're standing in front of your mirror. You have a bad night. You're looking through your mechanics. Get the ball out of the glove. What are you doing? Am I leaning? Am I doing? So you're standing in front of the mirror doing mechanics. And I was I was telling the guys I played with today, I go, 
this is like an extension of my 18 years playing in the big leagues, right? <laughs> you have one good day, but most of the time you're frustrated all the time. So let's give people a little bit of, of Dan Plesak history. You are the pride of Crown Point, Indiana. What's the difference between Crown Point and Gary? Okay, Gary is where I grew up in Gary till I was 16. Gary is a very urban city. It's it's about as close as you're going to get to the Chicago, Indiana border. Um, okay. The steel mills were very prevalent in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Very much an urban kind of neighborhood. Crown Point is about 15 miles south of there. We moved from there when I was a sophomore in high school from Gary to Crown Point, and it was like two different worlds. So I went from like urban America to like, I don't want to say rural America, but it was a big change from Gary to Crown Point. That sounds like a big one. And and just to let you know the research that we do here at The Approach Shot, in 1970, there were 160,000 people living in Gary. Today, there's like 65,000. What what has happened, the steel mills, when the steel industry in the 80s and 90s went bad, kind of the same thing happened in Gary, what happened in Pittsburgh, what happened in mm -hmm. Cleveland, all the industrial cities that relied on the Great Lakes regions to transport and import, export steel, uh, it, it kind of dried up. And so did kind of a lot of the housing market and everything. And, and Gary right now, it's 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 kind of like a Camden, New Jersey. It's it's urban. It's It was such a vibrant city in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you drive through Gary now when you're on like the Indiana Toll Road and you look and you see all the steel mills off to your right and Lake Michigan just past that. It's a little disappointing, but that's yeah. kind of the way the world is now. That's right. And then you went to, to college at NC State. I know you have a huge place in your heart for that because you were just there a week ago or so speaking and playing and, and hanging out. Are you a are you a wolf packer for life? I am, and it, it's bizarre how this happened, Neil. So I actually signed a, a scholarship, a letter of intent to play basketball at NC State. Norm oh. Sloan was the head coach at NC State. Norm oh. Sloan and Monty Tao recruited me, so I signed an athletic letter of intent to play basketball at NC State. I never pitched in high school till my senior year. I basketball was my first true love. I could play it. All day, every day, like going to the range and hit balls till you're blue in the face. That's how I was with basketball. And then my senior year, high school baseball coach, Dick Webb, came up to me and said, hey, listen, we don't have anybody to pitch. Can you just try it? I'm like, okay, I'll do it. One thing, Neil, led to another. One game, 15 strikeouts. One game, 18. Next thing you know, I was the 42nd player taken in the draft by the St. Louis Cardinals. I didn't have a curveball. I, I, it's funny because my mom has a newspaper article, and in that article, it asked me about my repertoire of pitches. And I said, well, I got to work on it right now. I'm fastball, knuckleball. Who the hell throws 95 and has a knuckleball? But that's kind of where I was at at that <laughs> wow. point in my life. I end up now, I'm, I get drafted in the second round, and now every country in America is coming after me for baseball. I, I, I had a ticket to go wherever I wanted, Texas, UCLA. USC, Miami, Florida, Florida State, you name it, full ride everywhere. And I decided to go to NC State. My brother was there. He was a year before me. He was a pitcher. And they transferred my scholarship from, and I remember I got to school in the fall of 1981. And I was like, man, I'm glad I decided because the coach left, Norm Sloan left, right? Guess who came in? Jim Valvano. Right. <laughs> I was I, That recruiting class that I was in was Cozell McQueen, Lorenzo Charles, in 83, when they beat five slam a jam at the buzzer, wow. that would have been my junior year class. So, but it worked out. Listen, I might've been in Albuquerque for that national championship game, but you wouldn't have seen me because I would have been riding the bench for That's 60 right. minutes. I went to school at Maryland. 
And so I know ACC basketball at oh. that point is, was as, as heated as it gets and state, you know, David Thompson went to state. I mean, oh, you guys God, had yes. some players that went to oh, state. It was, it was such a cool time to be there. Larry Nance was at Maryland. You had worthy Jordan and Perkins at UNC. Yep. Larry Nance was at Clemson. We played Notre Dame, Kelly Trapuca, Orlando Woolridge, man, that early eighties, that's when college basketball, particularly the ACC, man, that was grown man basketball. It was like, when it came on on Monday and Wednesday night on ESPN, it was like ACC Monday. We're watching that. That's right. And I love the fact that you're blinded enough by Duke that you didn't even mention them. I didn't. Exactly. <laughs> but but I do. But I, but I will say this. I got to tell you one quick story. So sure. when I was a senior in high school, my brother and I, we would play one on one against each other. And he always had this affinity for UCLA. And I don't know why I like Duke. So my brother would say, okay, I'm going to be UCLA. I'm going to be Richard Washington. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be Duke. I'm going to be Jim Spinarkle. Like, how the hell did I come up with Jim Spinarkle? <laughs> so I get a job at MLB Network. I join Upper Montclair Country Club. The first weekend I'm playing there, I have no idea. Jim Spinarkle is a member at this club. Oh so I'm, walk, I, I'm walking down the first fairway, Neil. And I go, hey, Jim, I got to tell you something. You're going to think I'm strange. But when I was a senior in high school, junior in high school, I used to be you when I would play my brother in one-on-one. -on -one. He said, of all the guys in college basketball, you chose me? What the hell's wrong with you? No Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Jim Spinarco. He was my guy. That's okay. He When he goes out and throws a ball with his brother, he's Dan Fleasack. So it works out <laughs> Exactly. <fine>. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I have, by the way, I have a great story. So his freshman year, he convinced him he was playing basketball and baseball at Duke. And his manager was Enos Slaughter. And oh. his first game, right after the basketball season, they were playing a doubleheader against Duke. He was pitching the second game. The first game, Clemson <laughs> beat them like 22 to three. And so he's starting game two, and Eden Slaughter tells him, Hey, I need some innings out of you. He said he was so nervous, he hit the first guy in the head. And so Eden Slaughter. Thought he did it on purpose to set a tone because they got their ass kicked in game one. He said, Dan, this guy's laying on the ground, and Enos Slaughter comes up to me and says, That's why you play basketball, kid. You're a tough guy. He goes, Dan, I wasn't trying to hit him. I hit him on accident. <laughs> wow, way to, way to impress Enos Slaughter. Hey, uh, three time all star with the Brewers. Are you also a Brewer for life? Because let's face it, you played with the Blue Jays, the Cubs, the Pirates, the D-backs, the Phillies, but it feels to me like you've got Brewer written all over you. Yeah, you know, Neil, when you come up with a team, it, the, the most bizarre part of that whole thing is I was drafted in the second round, the 42nd player out of high school at St. Louis. I go back to, and go to NC State, and after my junior year, I'm draft eligible, and I get drafted. I was the 26th player in the draft. Last player in the first round, I went to Milwaukee. And all I can remember, 1982, in my dorm room at NC State with my roommate, Jim Tolman, from Pittsburgh, who was a catcher, we're watching the 82 World Series, Robin Young, Paul Mauder, Gorman Thomas, Cecil Cooper, Ben Ogilvie, Raleigh Fingers, against the St. Louis Cardinals, Willie McGee, Ozzie Smith. And I, and I remember just like watching that in my dorm room going like, wow, you know, fast forward four years later, 1986, I go to my first big league camp and I walk in the first day in Chandler, Arizona. And I walk into the big league clubhouse. I pitched two and a half years in the minor leagues. And I walked in that clubhouse and on the back wall was Molitor, 
Yount, Cooper, Ogilvy, Simmons, Fingers. And I'm like, man, man, I got, I'm here, man. This is yeah. like, I'm here. And it was cool, but it was also very intimidating. Like you didn't know, like, what do you do? Like you walk up to Robin Yell and say, hi, I'm Dan. No, you just, you kind of keep your mouth shut. Right. You figure it out. But, and it was a great time, Neil. I can remember my first big league camp walking into that ballpark in Compadre Stadium in Chandler and looking at those nameplates going like, man, this is it, man. This isn't NC State. This isn't Paintsville, Kentucky or right. Stockton, California in A-League. This is, this is the big leagues. Okay. I want you to look at this piece of paper I have. See that big X across there? Yes. There's a part of the, in my notes to talk to you, I have an X through something that now that we're talking, I have to ask you. 2021, you're on set at MLB Network and you're having the exact same conversation we just had about how you knew it was real and when you knew oh, it was my, real. Oh, you're going Reggie Jackson on me, aren't you? I'm going Reggie Jackson on you. I'm going uh, hot mic on you. Neil, it was the most horrifying three minutes of my life. Because in this day and age, like you want to do and you want to say the right thing. So we're, we're talking about what does what do Hall of Famers look like? You know, and we're on and Jim Tomey was on there and Greg Amsinger said, hey, did you know what a Hall of Fame? I go, yeah. And am I allowed to drop an F-bomb here doing this with you, Neil? No, no we're a clean not. show, but you can you can do the PG version of it. OK, so we think we're going to commercial break. And Greg Amsinger says to me, he goes. Who was that guy like that you knew? I go, there's one guy, Reggie Jackson. I said, there's only one bleeping at Reggie Jackson. Right. When you're standing 60 feet, six inches away, and you're looking at Mr. October, and you see him with those glasses on, and he's standing there, and you're thinking about the three home runs he hit in Yankee Stadium, Reggie F. and Jackson's that guy. I'm gonna, I said, Greg, I, I mean, I threw some GDs, God this, man. I'm, I mean, I dropped everything you didn't want to drop. And so, like, at the end, when I know I've dropped like the fourth F-bomb, I hear in my ear, your mic's hot, your mic's hot. And I mean, Neil, if I could have like, I, I literally thought it was over, seriously. And my phone is blowing up. 20 seconds later, Bob Costas sends me a text and he says, it was the coolest thing ever. He goes, don't worry about it. You know what? It was all meant and you were you were saying about your appreciation of a great Hall of Fame and Reggie Jackson. You weren't demeaning him. You were glorifying like how proud you were to face Reggie Jackson. And I think the coolest thing was about 15 minutes later, uh, you know, we're all on Instagram and Twitter now. I mean, you, it's the necessary evil. My, my phone starts beeping. I'm like, I look down, it's my daughter, Natalie. She says, never been so proud to be Dan Plezak's daughter ever in my life. <laughs> the king of F-bombs. <laughs> the funniest thing about this, Dan, is that's where I was going with it, too. I looked this up because I wanted to know what the response of the general public was. And you know how people are. They're very oh. brave when they get behind the keyboard. I looked at 135 comments and read every single one of them. No negatives. I got two of them I wrote down here. One of them said, please act for president. And another one said, MLB, please don't suspend or make him apologize. This was gold and we need more of it. Yeah. And then they, they it was like, it was coming up with this thing. It would create its own monster was hashtag F-bomb Friday. Let Dan free Dan on Friday. It's <laughs> like free Friday for DJ Dan. But Neil, I, in all honesty, when the producer was in my ear and said, 
your mic's hot, your mic's hot. Literally, like I'm thinking this is, I mean, like what you're doing, you, you know, you work hard, you want to be good at what you do. You're on a national yeah. platform and, you know, a lot of people respect what you do, what you're talking about. And I just thought for like about, I really did for like, until I got the text from Bob Costas, I thought, man, this could be, I could be done. Like, and it was totally innocent. But I, I tell you one thing it did, Neil, from that point on, when you're wearing a microphone and you go to commercial break for three minutes, there's no jokes, there's no foul language. And if you've got anything to say, write it on a piece of paper and let the guy next to you see it. I learned a very valuable lesson. There you go. There it's, you go. It's, it's, it's as great of a story as that is, and it was for me. It could have been also where, you know, hey, listen, we're, we're all human. You you get you interview a certain player and the guy gives you a bad interview. You go to commercial break and, you know, you could say some negative things like, man, what a waste of time that was. Or yeah. he didn't want to do it. He was wasted. You know, and all this, it could be one of those. And whew, next thing you know, you're gone. Well, fortunately, it didn't happen. You're celebrating this year, your 15th year on MLB Network. You pitched for 18 years. That means you've had two jobs for 33 years. So you're not going to be a guy who ever uses Indeed or, or you know, any job service. It's been an incredible run. The playing part of it, you know, 18 years, it, it went so fast, six teams. And I could remember my last game like it was yesterday. Neil, I struggled with retirement for like three years. And every year I knew when you start getting 37, 38, 39 years old, the month of September is the biggest month of your life. Because when you're on a one year at an option contract, or you're 38 years old and you have a lousy September, the industry starts to say, hey, guess what? Neil's losing his fastball a little bit. Maybe the end is coming. So to me, I had to resist the temptation in September when guys were talking about hunting and going home and going fishing and watching college football and the NFL when it's on TV and every clubhouse. That's when I had to put blinders on and go, man, I got to go. I got to go right now. I've got to make hay in the month of September to let everybody in the industry know that I'm not done, that I can do this one more time. But my last game, the first guy I ever faced on a Friday night in Yankee Stadium was Mike Pagliarulo of the Yankees. Mm -hmm. I came in, my first hitter, I struck him out nervous. Rick Cerrone was the catcher. And I had this wild thing that I wanted to go out the way I came in. I wanted to end it on a strikeout. So on a Friday night, we were playing the Braves. I faced Chipper Jones. I popped him up, got him out. But I thought, ah, you know what? Face one guy. And on Sunday, I walked into the ballpark. Ed Wade was the GM. Larry Bull was the manager. They brought me in the manager's office right after batting practice. And I walk in, Steve Carlton, Greg Lazinski, Robin Roberts, Ed Wade, Larry Boa, all telling me, you got more gas in the tank. You can do this one more time. I said, I can't. This is it. Are you sure? I said, this is it. So I walked out of the meeting and Larry Boa said, hey, what do you want to do today? I said, Larry, I want to watch a game. I want to enjoy the last day of Veterans Stadium. I want to sit down. I want to be in peace and I want to take it all in. He goes, you earned it. So I walked down there. I had no jock. I had no cup. I had game pants on. I had a pullover jersey and a T-shirt underneath. Seventh inning, the phone rings. Ramon Henderson is our bullpen coach. And he says, hey, old man. They called me old man. Larry <laughs> wants you on the phone. So I get on the phone. He goes, hey, listen, you never ducked a challenge in 18 years, did you? He goes, I'm getting you in a game. You're getting in. And you're going to get the last out of this game. So do whatever you got to do. And he hung up. So I'm like, I have to run underneath the stadium, go put a cup on, put a jock on, put my uniform on. I didn't play catch. I didn't take any aspirin. I didn't take any anti-inflammatories. 
I warmed up, Neil. It was the most horrified and nervous I ever was in my life because really meant like like golf. You got a routine. You know, you start your warm up. We hit 50 wedges and eight irons and five. Same thing with baseball. You play catch with the same guy. You you you, know, you got to throw twenty five throws. You know you know the routine. I warm up. I come in and Ryan Loggerhands was the last hitter. I walked in and all I can remember is I had two balls and two strikes on him. And I remember the best pitching coach I ever had was a guy named Don Rowe. And he used to tell me all the time, Dan, stay tall, throw it through the glove, not to the glove, through the glove, not to the glove. So I was like, two balls, two strikes. I came in the set position. I was like, okay, Don Rowe, I hope you're right one more time. I threw this pitch. He swung and missed. Strike three. I walked off the mound. The only people on that team that knew that this was it for me was Larry Boa, Jim Tomey, and the bullpen coach. And I remember I struck Longer Hans out. Mike Lieberthal had the ball, and he was going to hand it to the umpire. I'm like, screw it. No, I want that ball. I grabbed (laughs) the ball, put it in my pocket. I walked off the field, and Jim Tomey was standing in the runway at Veterans Stadium. He gave me a hug, and he said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. And I I did the same thing for 18 years, Neil. Get done throwing my inning or however long it was. You walk in, you kick your shoes in your locker, put your turf shoes on, get your bands. You start doing your bands for your tubing, for your shoulder, because I did them before games and after games. I walked into my locker. I kicked my shoes in, put my turf shoes on. I grabbed my bands and I'm like, I don't have to do this anymore. I'm not throwing anymore. The, the only, like, I would say sad memory I had was driving out of the vet. They had the, the most wonderful closing day celebration. I was the last pitcher to throw a ball in Veterans Stadium for the Philadelphia Phillies. So the celebration lasted for almost two hours. It was a Sunday day game. But by the time we all left, the stadium emptied out. It was dark. I remember pulling out of the player's lot, got onto the Walt Whitman Bridge, and to your right, I looked over in the rearview mirror and I could see the vet, this gigantic monstrosity, 70,000 seat stadium, dead empty. The lights were on and nobody was sitting there. And I looked at it in the rearview mirror and I was like, that does it. It was just, it was time to say goodbye. I'm lucky. I have never one day, maybe I should have went one more because Neil, the last year I ended with an ERA under three. Neil, I got every break in the book. Every ball that was an inch foul stayed foul. Every time it was first and third and one out, somebody hit a line drive and it was caught right at somebody. The baseball gods were looking out for me in 2003, and I have never looked back. You know what? Just to be very specific, you were 41 years old. You had a 270 ERA, which is insane. And you had 37 strikeouts in 33 innings. As a 41-year-old pitcher, it doesn't get any better than that. That's a no, cherry, my friend. No. And, and you know you know the one thing that I'm the most proud of in my career? I never spent a day on the DL. Right. 18 years, 1,060-something games. And I got I to gotta pay homage to one guy, Robin Yount. My rookie year, we were the – when I, Milwaukee was in the American League East, and we were the swing team, which meant we played our month of September. We played all the AL West teams. It was unfair, but that's the way it was. It wasn't always Milwaukee. It could have been Toronto one year. It could have been Cleveland. Right. And we were leaving Toronto on a Thursday night. We were leaving Thursday to go to Oakland, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I walked into the training room after the game, and, there, and the team doctor of the Blue Jays was giving Robin Yount a shot. He had turf toe really bad in its toe. 
I walked in, I saw that needle. I immediately turned around. I'm like, oh man, glad that's not me. <laughs> Friday, we're on the field during batting practice. And, you know, like I still, like it's my rookie year. Like I don't really know what to say to Robin Yell. This guy's like an MVP. I mean, he's he's the guy, right? And so I'm kind of standing there and I, I said, hey, did that hurt? He goes, oh, he goes, oh man, did it ever. You ever had a shot in your toe? I said, no. And he goes, I go, you're, God, you're in the lineup today? He goes, why wouldn't I be? And he said to me, Neil, he goes, hey, did you ever, when you were a kid, when your mom and dad were getting ready, you were getting ready to go to school and you had a bad stomach, but you really didn't, you decoyed him. They went to work. You stayed home. You pretended like you were, I go, yeah, we all did that. He looked at me stone cold and he goes, that's how it is in baseball. When you find out how easy it is to take a day off, you'll do it over and over again. Don't ever do it. And from that day forward, Neil, I felt as though if I was breathing and I was walking, I was pitching. That sounds like a bumper sticker that ought to be on the back of your car. That and from birdie to bogey, come fly with me. That's that's about what I do. <laughs> How interesting that you would mention that. We we need to get into a segment where we talk to you specifically about golf. Hang in there with us. Dan Plesek is our guest today on The Approach Shot. Don't you go anywhere. And we are back. I'm Neil Michaels. John Ashton is off today, so I'm flying solo with my man, Dan Plesak. We're going to talk a little bit about your golf game, but first... I got to bust on you a little bit. Last year at this time, in March, you said of last year, you said the Cubs would be the most improved team of 2023. And they did improve by nine games, but obviously the Rangers improved by 22 and won the World Series. The Diamondbacks did better. Even my Minnesota Twins improved by nine games. So yeah, we'll give you like a half a credit on that one. Okay. All right. Yeah. What are you thinking about 2024? Or is it too early to tell? No, I don't I don't think it's too early. I, I'm going to tell you a team I was really disappointed in last year. They were a good team, but I just don't think they ever hit their stride. I was disappointed. I really thought the Blue Jays were a team that could win the whole thing. I really did. Their starting pitching was good. Uh, you could maybe say they had the best starting pitching. Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette. I'm really disappointed in the way that season ended. I'm going to give you a team, and you're going to say, well, how can you say that after last year? Don't sleep on this Arizona Diamondbacks team. I'm telling you something. They're, yeah. they're not going to win the West. Neil, listen, I can't sit here and tell you they're going to beat the Dodgers because they're not. Agreed. Right. But they're a team you don't want to play. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez to a lefty that they needed. They just, Zach Gallen in the month of October, um, they just, Brad Fought is another young guy who pitched like two of the games out of his life that he had never saw this coming. I just like the way they go about doing it. They put the ball in play. They're kind of an old school team. They run. They put pressure on you. They steal this new up-tempo style of baseball that plays now, suits them. I think they're only going to continue to get better. They've got some great young players, great young position players. They're not going to win the West, but they're going to be really good again in 2024. And I'm going to give you one that is going to come out of left field, pardon the pun, because they've done some really good off-season under-the-radar moves, and that's the Kansas City Royals. Amen. That division is, you know, again, I'm a Twins fan, but that division is wide open. The Tigers have added some, some interesting players, too. The White Sox, I know you're a big fan of the White Sox. They just didn't live up to potential, and I think they'll be there. But I think the Royals will improve by 10, 12, 15 games this year. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm going to tell you this. This is a bold statement. We talk a lot about Trout. We talk a lot about Otani, and deservedly so. Bobby Witt Jr. in the next three to four years, in my opinion, 
He's the best young player in the game of baseball. He hits for power. He hits for average. He has a great arm. He can steal bases. He's one of those guys, Neil. I'm a big body language guy. His body moves and he like he has a rough at bat. You know, he's not dragging his bat back. He's a high energy guy. And he's a kind of guy that brings energy to the field. He brings energy into the clubhouse. In my opinion, if I had to pick a team today and say, okay, you could take one player and you could have him to start your franchise. I know 99 out of 100 people are going to take Otani. I'm taking Bobby Witt Jr. All right, Danny. So let's talk about your game today. You just you literally like are, are, are dabbing the sweat from, from coming in and playing today. I noticed on your Twitter feed that you just came back from Isleworth. That that had to be so much fun. I, I can't tell you. John Hart, I was his guest, the member guest called the showdown at Isleworth. I played Isleworth several times. Former PGA tour player Nick O'Hearn and John and I played several rounds. JB Holmes, we played several times at Isleworth, but I haven't been there in like four or five years. John called me the middle of December and said, Hey, I know you're going to be in Florida. How about you want to be my partner in the showdown, the member guest? Man, what a place. I'm telling you, you walk in there, you know, Tiger and Bubba, John Daly, John Cook, all the guys that have played out of there. What a tough golf course. It, it's not like Kiowa Island, the ocean course, where it's just like the wind's blowing. It's 420-yard par fours dead into the wind. And you're like, man, I don't, I can't even hit driver three when I can barely get home on a par four. <laughs> But Isleworth, it's just the undulated greens and the runoff areas, tight lies. If you're not a really good chipper of the ball, like I found myself, Neil, day two, like I just, I, I want to cry. You don't want to admit it. Par three, <laughs> you hit one, you know, 155, par three. I hit it 150. It hits, comes back and it rolls down that drop off area. I'm like, do I putt it? Do I chip it? I'm going to take a 60 wedge and you chunk it because it's against the grain and it gets up there and it rolls back at your feet. And you're just like, oh, it is. It's the hardest course for me to play around the greens, because if you miss the greens, unbelievably, you pay for it there. If you fire a good round at Isleworth, same thing at Lake Nona, those two courses, mm -hmm. you play there, you can probably play just about anywhere. Apparently, John Hart can hit some putts, too. I'm going to tell you something. He's in his 70s. Get him on a green. Get him 75 to 80 yards. He throws darts. He's lost a little bit of yardage from when I played with him a lot, you know, 10, 12 years ago at MLB Network. Competitive, loves to play. We had a great match, our third match. We played against Vince Carter and his guests. And I mean, it's hard not to, you get to the first team, you're thinking Vince Sanity. And I went to NC State, he went to UNC. So inherently, I can't like the guy, right? It's like, <laughs> absolutely. Right. I root for two teams, NC State, anybody that plays UNC. There you go. He couldn't have been a better guy. It was uber competitive. We lost on the last hole. We were even going into eight. Vince got a stroke. He was getting a pop on a par four, a really tough par four. He drains an 18-foot putt to win the match. But man, it was one of those back and forth, like, we got up one, they put it back. They got up one, we got it back. It went to the last hole. We lost on a Vince Carter, about 18-footer, but it was a great, it was, it was a terrific match. When you play somebody like that and you're playing, because this is a nine-hole match, right? Oh, this yes. Is, so, I mean, every shot matters. Oh, oh, yeah. It's like, so the first day, if you've never played Isleworth, everybody talks about number two. It's a par three. 
it is it could be one of the most difficult par threes in the world, right? Number one, you've got a little dog rake, right? If you can hit it over the bunker, you can carry it 250, 260, you've got a little wedge in. Then you get the hole two. It looks like a bowling alley. You've got a lake on your right with the one bunker and these huge, like 120 foot high willows that hang over the middle of the fairway. So if you're a righty, you have to hit like a six or five iron and hit a tight draw in around that opening. Or if you're a lefty, you've got to play a fade. So on the first day, we figured out like, I'm like, okay, what are we, where are we start? We don't know. We get our card. We're starting on hole two. I'm like, damn, like, wow, of all the holes <laughs> to start on. So I'm, we're at the range hitting balls. I go, John, okay, it's going to play 180, probably a little in the wind, like baseball. The last warm-up pitch I threw was the first pitch I was going to throw that batter, right? You want muscle memory. So the last five balls I hit, six iron plate in the back of my stance, little butter cut, little butter cut. And I hit like five of them, Neil, like I flushed them all. And I'm like, we drive to number two. And I get on the tee box and the two guys went before us. They both missed the green. And I'm like, okay, man, just hit that same six iron that you hit on the range. Neil, it was like Arnie, Jack, Seve, and Gary Player were watching over me. I hit the greatest butter cut six iron to eight feet and made the putt for birdie. Stop it. Was it. The, oh, I did. <laughs> the only problem was, I unfortunately, that was the best shot I made for the next five matches. <laughs> yeah. So I get over this putt, right? And John says, it's slick, Dan. It's going to go right to left about one cup. Neil, I hit this putt and I thought, oh no, I didn't hit it enough. The greens were really fast. And I acted like, I hit it. I'm like, oh, you hit it short. Oh, Alice, what are you doing? Dead in. Dropped right in. So I, I picked it up, and John goes, ah, way to go. Way to roll the ball. And if I'm being <laughs> honest, I thought I left it short when I first hit it. <laughs> well, also, you set expectation for John, too. He's thinking, oh, oh Dan's going to have a day. I'm going to tell you how hard that hole is. The two guys we were playing, one guy was a one. The other guy was a four handicap. I got one shot on that nine. That That's how hard this hole is. I got a half a stroke. That was the only stroke I got. I got a half a stroke wow. on a par three, and I made birdie. Oh, I was, I mean, I was on the Digby train after that. I was like, hey, John, what's the course record here? <laughs> you know, if this show was two hours, we could just talk golf stories the whole time because that was joy. What you just described yeah. is for every golfer, pure joy. You come off doing your thing at the driving range, you you able to actually do the same oh. shot, replicate the shot, and then hit the putt, even though you didn't think you hit it, and walk off and think, easy game. And then maybe the, the golf gods teach you it's not such an easy game. It's the truth. I couldn't wait to get to the third hole and hit a tee shot. I piped one on the third hole, and I've got like 145 in, and I've got the ball above my feet. I'm a lefty. I love playing a tight little baby draw, and I'm like, Oh man, it's time to start firing some darts, right? I hit this thing, I chunked it, I hit it in a bunker. And next thing you know, I walk out of there with a double bogey, and I'm like, damn, golf gods, <laughs> they got me. <laughs> can we go back to two again? Yeah, can we play? Hey, can we find a par three course here in Orlando? Dan, love talking golf with you, but I have to tell you, something's coming up. It doesn't seem like it's going to scare you too much, but the next section we've got coming up is called our six pack. It's our uh -oh. six pack of questions. We fire off as fast as we can. We expect okay. you to give us the first thing that comes to mind. No thinking about it. And we will get to that when we come back. We are the Approach Shot. Hang with us.
And we are back. And Dan Plesak doesn't even look like he's going to break a sweat here. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out sooner we'll or later. We'll see. <laughs> We're going to hit the six-pack here, the six-pack again. We fire off the questions. We expect your first answer. If you think about it or we can tell that you're not giving us a first answer, I will buzz you. You ready to play? Ready. Let's do it. Question one. We already talked about your respect for Reggie Jackson. So who did you really hate facing? And alternately, whose number did you have? Tony Gwynn wore me out. Tony Gwynn, George Hendrick, guy that I, you'd be surprised that I pitched very well against, George Brett. Makes no sense. No sense. No sense. Tony Gwynn wore me out. I didn't, you'd have to give me a half of a second to hit the buzzer. I knew who that was. Here's the thing, Dan. They bring you in. You're a lefty specialist. I mean, Amen. I know you're a closer, but you're supposed to do well against lefties. I don't. Tony I Gwynn guess against Gwynn, everybody sort of had that yes. same answer. All right. Yes. There you go. And George Hendrick, way to pull that one out. Wore me out. He took me deep in spring training. I still remember one in Palm Springs to lose his spring training game. I'm like, I can't, I can't even get away from George in a Cactus League game. <laughs> <laughs> Not when it doesn't matter. Maybe we can exactly. leave it right here, George. <laughs> exactly. All right. Question two. You just came in from playing 18. Who do you enjoy playing golf with the most? John Hart. Really? It is John. Yes. Uh, I, I do. I, I, I love his game. He takes it serious. I need to be more conversing when I play, but I'm, I got to be honest with you. Every day I leave the range, I think it's going to be the best round of my life. I need to see the trees and the lakes and the birds more, but Neil, I don't. I, I get there and I, I want to play well because I know that I can. And when I don't do it consistently, it drives me nuts. It's a maddening game. But John Hart, John Hart brings out the best of me. He's a grinder like I am. And maybe with the whole birds thing, there's a reason that you bring golf clubs and not binoculars to the course. Amen. <laughs> Question three, MLB Network frequently asks you to put together a list of the top this or the top that. So without being able to prepare and not knowing that I was going to ask you this off the top of your head, give me the top five pitchers of all time. Okay. Top five that I've, of all time, Sandy all time. Koufax won. Nolan Ryan has to be in there. Greg Maddox has to be in there. You're going to say like, oh, I don't know. Clayton Kershaw probably is in there. Forget about the last three or four years. I'm a, Pedro Martinez, got to throw him in there. The two guys that like just amaze me, if Pedro Martinez and Greg Maddox walked into your studio right now, you wouldn't know if they were bag boys at a restaurant or a grocery store. You know, <laughs> Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, they they just had some like you could you could not follow golf and have a hundred players and somebody in your your wife, your girlfriend, your brother, your cousin that knew anything about golf watched 50 guys walk down a fairway and say, Hey, which one of those guys is Tiger Woods? 99 out of a hundred ago, that guy there in the red shirt and the black pants. And that's how. Clemens and Randy Johnson were, they just like stood out. But I really admire like Greg Maddox, like six foot, 185 pounds through 88 to 92. I mean this in the greatest of compliments. Nobody did more with less than Greg Maddox. He oh, never no threw question. 95. He never had a great curveball, great changeup. He could move the ball. And Pedro Martinez was maybe, Neil, 175 pounds soaking wet. But I can remember being with the Blue Jays and on a Friday night, him just carving up our lineup. And it was just like, man, it was like the more you saw him, the more you're like, because I didn't get to see a lot of him because early on I was in the American League and he was with the Dodgers and the Expos. So I didn't get to see him till Boston. And, you know, you're always like, well, I want to see what this guy is. Right. I want to see. What, and I was just like, "Woo, this guy's different, man. 
those two guys, to me, Maddox and Pedro, they they stuck out because they didn't have the physical body type that you would say like, man, this is like two of the greatest guys of all time, but they yeah. both were. Yep. I love it. And then you're right. The, I, I lived in Atlanta when Maddox was pitching and oh. the catcher could take his glove off and put a dime in his hands and he would hit his, he would hit the dime every time. Nobody. I, I had a greatest, I played golf with him last December in Cabo. We had the most, I, I mean, if, if you're like, like, that would be like, if you could like walk, play 18 holes with Johnny Miller or Jack Nicholas and just pick their brain. We talked about pitching for four hours. Right. And I, I asked <laughs> them like, just, it never dawned on me. Like I said, Hey, you know that ball that he threw, Neil? He threw that fastball to lefties that like started at him and they ran back in. Yes. And like everybody tries to do it and I could never do it. So I asked him, I said, how the hell did you do that? He goes, it had nothing to do with the hand. He goes, you just had to open up so you could free your body so you could allow your body. He goes, you know, like when you're trying to hit a cut shot, you open up your feet and you take this swing down the line of your feet and that that will, you know, open the club face. He goes, the same thing when you want to throw that pitch. So if you landed square on target, if you're lefty, you would want to open up like about four or five inches further to the right. So your body would open up and your arm angle would make that ball go the other way. And I'm like, damn, for 20 years, I tried to figure out. I never thought <laughs> it was so simple, but I never thought of it. We'll get back to one of those questions after we're done with the rest of the six pack. Question four, what's your most embarrassing golf shot in organized play? Oh, I was playing in the uh, Hilton Grand Vacation, right? And I'm stringing together like five or six really good holes, playing with LPGA pros, right? And so this was at Tranquilo in Orlando before they moved it to Lake Nona the last two years. I've, I'm on a heater of like four pars in a row, and I'm really starting to feel like I got this thing going on. And I'm playing with Jarena Mendoza, Jarena Pillar, right? She's just striping it all day long. And the last thing you want to do is like, you don't want to get in their way. Like I played with Nasa Hataoka two years ago and you're just like, oh my God, like she's playing for a lot of prize money. And I'm, you know, you're trying to pretend to be a golfer. Short <laughs> par three at Tranquilo. Hazel rocket. Dead left. I mean, Neil, I'm talking, I'm talking like Hazel rocket city. 145 yard straight as a dime par, par three. I almost killed two people. And I mean, it was the worst <laughs> hosel I've ever hit. It ruined my round, Neil, because for like the next 12 holes, every time I got an eight, nine, or a wedge in my hand, I kept going like, don't hit a hosel, man. Don't hit a hosel. Oh. And it became a thing. And I hit two more hosels on the back nine. So that was when my you, most embarrassing. When you start telling yourself what not to do. Oh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> those hazel rockets are bad things, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, question five, and I'm going to make this a two-parter. Number one, as most people know, the entire Jackson family, including Michael and Janet Jackson, were born in Gary. Correct. Latoya, Marlon, and Michael were around your age, two Correct. or three years above. Gary Roosevelt High School. There you go. Did you yes. share any history with them? None. And you know, the crazy part about it is I grew up probably about 15 to 18 blocks, but they didn't become really big until like I got into college. So at the time you kind of, we knew who they were, but it wasn't like the glove and Michael and Janet till like, like late to mid eighties where there's like, there was the Jackson five, but then it went to another level. Like right when I was out of high school, they went to an entirely different level. Could have lied about it and told some great yeah. stories, right? Said, yeah, <laughs> we'll make up some. Michael and Little League, I struck him out. 
had him 3-0, and he took three heaters right down the middle. <laughs> exactly. Or he originally had a golf glove on, and I was like, no, put some sparkles on that yeah. thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, 5B. Another Gary, Indiana question. This will be much more personal. So, Dan, a Chicago dog from Armand's or meatloaf from Birch's? Chicago dog. I'm not a meatloaf guy. I love my mom to death, but I there's two things I can't do. I can't do meatloaf or sauerkraut and sausage. So if you tell me you'd like to meet me, we're going to go to dinner, we're going to have sauerkraut and sausage, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm getting fast food before we meet, Neil, <laughs> and you can have all the sauerkraut and sausage you can have. It's all yours. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll probably pass on that too. Thanks. All right. And question six, since we are the approach shot, we ask everybody this who comes on the show, Dan Plesak, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Did you have that written down somewhere? No, no. Did you just like pull that out of the sky? I did. Wow. Damn, dude. That was, that was, that was money right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, kind of what I try to, you know, I I've been, I've been able to do some really good things in my life and, you know, I've been, I mean, you you talk to a lot of people, like we all have times where you got to take a left-hand turn or right-hand turn and somehow you trust your gut and you go the right place. But I've been lucky. Baseball's yeah. been good to me. Like you talked, you touched on 18 years, 33 years I've been involved in the game of baseball at the big league mm-hmm. level. I mean, I love what I do now. It's totally different. Like I'll go for, you know, a week to 10 days and you just plod along and then some Friday night, something happens that you can really be passionate about. And you dive into it and you walk away from the studio at 1.30 in the morning. I'm driving home and I'm thinking, man, I love baseball. Yeah, it's I, great. I, it is. I, I do. And, you know, I fought it for a long time. I think the greatest, I, I guess we all have a come to Jesus moment and like in our career, like with something like, hey, when it, when it what happened? I was in A-ball in Stockton, California, and I'm digging myself, right? I was drafted in the first round with Milwaukee, and I was in Paintsville, Kentucky in the Appalachian League, player of the year, pitcher of the year, but I should have been. I was a college junior playing against high school kids. The next year, I'm in Stockton, California in A-ball. And I'm having a really good first half. I'm the starting pitcher, California League All-Star game, and I'm feeling good about myself. And in those days, you did what's called the bucket. So if you were a starting pitcher Monday, Tuesday, you stand behind the screen at second base, and when they're hitting batting practice, all the balls that get hit, they throw them into you, you put them in a bucket, and then you run them to the batting practice pitcher and empty them out, and you run back with that empty bucket, and you fill them up again. I'm doing the bucket, and the manager, Tim Norbrook, came up to me, and he stands next to me, and he says, he said, hey, you remember your first girlfriend? I go, yeah, Mary Kay Thanos. He goes, where was that? I said, high school. Did you love her? I said, I don't know. I, I think I did. And he goes, I got to tell you something, man. You know what the thing about baseball? You got to wrap your arms around baseball and like, like five Mary Kays, man. You got to hug it every day. You got to you got to grab baseball and you got to hug it. Never let it go and love it. And he walked away from me. And I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> so like two days later, I'm like, I knock on his door and I said, uh, hey, you got a minute? He said, yeah. I said, did you call me out there? He goes, yeah, I did. He goes, you got a chance to be, you got to, you got to, you're, you're next level. You got to get out of the California league. He goes, you know what? We tell you to be here at five. You show up at five to five. We tell you to run 10 sprints. You run 10 sprints. We tell you to run three miles, you run three miles, but you never get here at four. You never run 20 sprints. You never run five miles. You get here, you show up, you do what you're supposed to do. But he goes, I don't know if you really love this. And he was dead right. It's crazy. We went on a road trip to Redwood, California to play the Angels A-ball team. Stayed at a terrible Motel 6, and across the street was a Barnes & Noble bookstore. 
So I'm like, I had a, you know, had some downtime. I walked over to the bookstore. I got to buy a book. I got, yeah, I got to start reading. So, you know, being an athlete, I'm looking at sports and I see, ah, I see this book, The Art of Pitching by Tom Seaver. I bought that book, Neil. I read it that night. And from that day forward, I started learning a guy holds his bat straight up and down. He's a low ball hitter. Guy holds his bat flat. He's a good high ball hitter. You got what mm. guys you got? How do you get through a lineup? And at that point, I started to take it to another level. And I was like, I didn't love it, but I started loving it the day I bought that book. And then since then, it's like, I can't get enough. We could talk pitching. We could do a five-hour podcast, and I could be on for five hours. There you go. We might have to do that someday. Yeah, we could do that. Yes. (laughs) That's all I have for you as far as the six-pack. So you aced that. Okay. And you did great on that. And I do love that story. I have one other thing I have to ask you about, by the way. I'm glad you had dinner with Zach last night. I was going to ask you about Perfect. that. You had dinner last night in Sarasota. But I have to ask you about something else that I had read on social media. Because the problem with social media, as you know, is when you put it out there, people are going to notice. So I have to pick on you for this. After you played Gateway earlier in January, you posted, I'm passing by all the hamburger joints. I'm oh. passing by all the pizza joints. I'm coming home to eat a fruit plate. I need to start eating better. It's been two weeks. Are you? No. God, it's, <laughs> it, it was so good. My mom came down here last Saturday. Oh, man, I'm, it's just hard. Went last night. I had dinner with Zach, my nephew, Zach, in Sarasota. I had everything. I had lobster. I had filet. I had vegetable fried rice. When I come home from Gateway every day, I, I can't believe I'm telling you my secrets. I treat myself every day. I can't stop. Those the gas stations they're called like racetrack or T R E K like they're like a they're a super powered Seven Eleven yeah Neil Neil they have the greatest hot dogs there and every day on the way home I have one of those hot dogs I'm thinking nobody can see me eat this hot dog <laughs> I'm eating this hot dog <laughs> yeah that's that's not the same as a fruit plate <laughs> it's, hey, I went into it with a good idea. I went into it. You know, I convinced myself. I was telling my mom last night, I want to do one of these 72-hour water cleanses, supposedly great for you. But guess uh-huh. what? My mom and I have a we have a reservation tomorrow night in Naples at Alberto's on Fifth. Killer pasta. That 72-hour thing. I'm gonna <laughs> wait till July when it's hot out to do that. There you go. It's like a I have a buddy who tells me every February, that's when he's going to go dry. He's not going to drink. And I said to him, February, that's like Super Bowl and all that. Why February? He goes, 28 days, man. <laughs> yeah, right. He's got it figured out. Good right. for him. He's, if if yeah. I'm going to do this, I'm going to chop off three days out of this. Thing. A thousand February. percent, right? And I'll yeah. bet you he starts after the Super Bowl. So it's the rest of February. Amen to that. Yes. There you go. Dan, I could hang out with you and talk for hours and hours and hours, but sadly, we don't have hours and hours. So I'm just going to have to say thank you for what was probably the most fun I've had doing this in a very long time. You got it, Neil. Anytime. If you'd love to do it again, I'm all for it. You know what? I think maybe we need to do this either as we get closer to the season or after the season, because now that we've both made predictions, we have to hold ourselves to it. You got it. I'm all for it. Let's do it. All right, brother. Dan Plesak, thank you so much for being our guest on The Approach Shot. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net.